Section 2 of Hildebrand and His Times by Richard William Ward Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 1 Introductory Origin of the Connection Between the Papacy and the Transalpine Sovereigns the corruption of the papacy after the dissolution of the carolingian empire the revival under otto the great the relapse after the death of otto the third part two charles was worthy by his genius and achievements to receive that august title it did not indeed confer any powers upon him which he had not exercised or might not have exercised as patrician of rome but the possession of the title was in itself a power the power inherent in a venerable name its splendour shed a lustre and dignity upon him who bore it which was of incomparable value and the rise of a man fitted to play the part of emperor in the west coincided with the lapse of imperial power at constantinople into degradation and contempt rome would not acknowledge irene as empress who had deposed and blinded her own son in the eyes of the romans the imperial throne was vacant the worthiest man in christendom had now been elected to fill it he had been crowned in the old capital by the supreme pontiff and rome was once more the seat of empire an empire which was enlarged by the recovery of gaul and the addition of germany although the line of emperors went on at constantinople until the capture of the city by the turks in fourteen fifty three yet from the crowning of charles i eight hundred the only emperors acknowledged by western europe were those who were crowned at rome or at least by the roman pontiff the roman empire was thus revived in the west by the coronation of charles but in a new shape it was henceforth to be the roman empire of the german nation the temporal head was to be with some rare and insignificant exceptions the german king elected by the german people the spiritual head was the pope who bestowed the imperial crown upon the elected king who was not strictly speaking emperor until he had received it it is easy to see how future contests between these two powers were inevitable the coronation of charles was not performed by virtue of any ancient precedent or legal right it was a unique act justified by the circumstances of the moment and the unanimity of those who were concerned in effecting it it started the idea which became firmly fixed that the german king should be roman emperor and that he must be crowned by the pope but the precise relations between these two potentates were nowhere defined if the pope bestowed the crown had he the power to withhold it or was he bound to yield to the choice of the people if he was thus bound and yet refused to ratify it could the emperor-elect set up another pope in his place and receive coronation at his hands again was the assent of the emperor a necessary condition of validity in the election of a pope how far might the spiritual head of the empire command the subjects of the temporal head or even the emperor himself if he outrageously exceeded the bounds of his authority could the emperor deal with him like a rebel or if he grossly failed in the duties of his high office could he be deposed from it 
and so on the other hand if the emperor failed to do his duty as the protector of the church and the guardian of the christian faith and christian morals could the pope remove the crown which he had placed on an unworthy head nearly all these questions had to be dealt with some of them were fought out during the epoch with which this volume is concerned but as long as charles the great lived they could not arise of the two powers which swayed christendom he was indisputably the greater the will of charles was everywhere supreme the councils in which he presided were ecclesiastical synods no less than national diets the compilation of public acts called capitularies contained laws and regulations concerning the conduct of the clergy the discipline the practice and even the belief of the church as well as all manner of secular affairs the great prelates were practically appointed by him and were subject to the visitation of his officials even the pope although in a spiritual sense his father and guide had in the technical phrase of the day adored him at his coronation that is to say had prostrated himself at his feet and so in some sense seems to have become his subject as long then as charles lived the impress of one mind was felt everywhere but when his master-mind was removed the dissolution of his vast empire was inevitable even if it had not been partitioned among his sons the change did not indeed come suddenly there were sixteen years of stable government under louis the pious but with the rebellion of his sons about eight thirty the break-up began the frankish dominions were divided amongst them and the remainder of the century was filled with strife between them and their descendants the imperial crown was shifted from one branch of the family to another internally the empire was distracted by incessant struggles between rival powers kings dukes counts bishops abbots outwardly it was threatened by barbarian invaders the magyars and the northmen everywhere there was a tendency to disruption and nowhere more than in italy it was divided into many lordships often at war with one another rome was ruled sometimes by the pope sometimes by the people more often by some fierce nobles of the neighbourhood who were called or called themselves consuls and patricians the crown of lombardy was the prize for which pretenders fought the only bond of union amongst all the jarring elements of this turbulent time was the church whilst the empire was divided the church was still one but the church itself was deeply tainted with the general corruption the worldly wealth and influence of the clergy increased but it was at the expense of learning culture and sanctity of life the spiritual life of the church was becoming strangled in the bands of feudalism prelates were great feudal beneficiaries in defiance of the laws of charles the bishops rode to war rich bishoprics and abbeys became the objects of ambition to greedy competitors and king or emperor was tempted to bestow them for service or for money upon unworthy candidates the clergy were commonly married and there was a tendency amongst the ecclesiastical aristocracy to become an hereditary caste transmitting their benefices to members of their own rank and resenting the elevation of men of humbler birth had this gone on the clergy would have become intensely local in their sympathies 
the divisions of the church would have followed the divisions of the empire and its dependence on the papacy as the central and supreme authority would have been loosened during the latter part of the ninth century and the whole of the tenth the three evils were steadily growing with which hildebrand afterwards waged implacable war clerical marriage simony and investiture by lay hands nor did the papacy itself escape the general corruption the highest point to which papal claims had ever been carried was reached in the pontificate of nicholas i eight fifty eight to eight sixty seven whose pretensions were aided by the famous forgery now first made public known as the decretals of isidore in the imperious tone of his judgment between rival candidates for the see of constantinople in his stern prohibition of the divorce of king lothair from his queen in his bold assumption of authority over the prelates of germany and gaul nicholas is a kind of anticipation of hildebrand but this gleam of grandeur and power was followed by a century of the most profound darkness the papal throne was won by every species of violence and intrigue for fifty years it was at the disposal of three profligate women in league with licentious nobles and foreign adventurers from this abyss of infamy and shame the papacy was rescued for a time by the saxon emperor otto the great the direct line of charles the great in germany had come to an end in nine eleven a d first conrad of franconia and then his rival henry of saxony were elected to the throne otto i the son of henry was by far the ablest king who had risen in germany since charles and in some sort revived the work which had been so largely undone after his death he suppressed rebellion and disorder in his kingdom he vanquished the savage magyars on the eastern border in the bloody battle of leschfeld he subdued the remnants of lombard power in northern italy at the invitation of pope john the twelfth he visited rome in nine sixty two to free the city from the tyranny of the nobles and the imperial crown was bestowed upon him there as the title had already been given him by his victorious host after the battle of leschfeld in nine fifty five the tie between rome and germany begun by pippin and charles was made fast by otto the possibility of an independent italian state was indefinitely postponed and the roman empire of the german nation was definitely established otto the great ruled as vigorously in italy as elsewhere he subdued the turbulent lords of the romagna he deposed pope john the twelfth set up leo the eighth in his stead and made the romans swear not to elect any pontiff in future whom he had not approved otto's grandson otto the third followed in his footsteps with yet more ambitious aims he placed germans in the papal chair for in truth christendom could no longer tolerate the ignorant and licentious italians who had disgraced the holy see his kinsman and chaplain bruno gregory v a man of austere morals was his first nominee and was succeeded by sylvester the second the pious eloquent and learned gerbert otto was fascinated by the magic influence of rome and proposed making the ancient capital once more the residence of the emperor but this and all his other projects many of them great and wonderful 
were cut short by premature death at the age of twenty-two and the direct line of the Ottos came to an end in 1002 A.D. The successors of Otto, Henry II, 1002 to 1024, and Conrad II, 1024 to 1034, were for the most part too much occupied with repressing disorder in Germany to bestow much attention upon Rome. Henry II, indeed, had noble schemes of church reform, but they were frustrated by his death, and for the first forty years of the eleventh century the popes were the nominees generally the simoniacal nominees of the counts of tusculum and the church sank into a condition of deeper corruption in italy than in any part of christendom in gaul and germany however a spirit of religious reform of which the great monastic house of cluny in burgundy was the chief source and centre was beginning to work upon public opinion and henry the third the son of Conrad, became thoroughly animated by this spirit. Under his influence, and that of the German popes whom he appointed, the reformation of the church began, which was to be carried on and consummated by Hildebrand and his successors. Under Henry III, there was the most complete concord which ever existed between the spiritual and temporal heads of the Holy Roman Empire. Under his son, Henry IV, began the first great struggle between them for supremacy. End of section 2